G'day, welcome to Lunch Money, your online and social media home for uh, workouts, special situations and capital raising professionals. My name's Nick Samios. I am the fund manager and director here at Hermes Capital and uh, I'm your Lunch Money host. Um, today, I thought we would dive in and have a look or check in on the property market. Um, the property investment has been uh, in, the, in the news this week with uh, the treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, um, coming out and saying that he's going to give support to the regulators to somehow crack down on lending in the in the home loan uh, or in the home sector, um, what exactly that might look like, we're not one hundred percent sure. It might look like um, uh, uh, something to do with uh, servicing ratios. You know how much you know how many multiples of your income you can borrow. It might have something to do with LVRs, and there's certainly talk of that dampening the market. I heard Mark Burris this morning um, saying that that he was concerned that that it might be a little bit too much too soon. Um, and there was also I saw the Finance Brokers Association also came out saying that um, that you know they they sort of wanted uh, they wanted to, to be more targeted and more general. But we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But certainly it's brought property back into the spotlight, and it, it raises the question once again. Are we in a property bubble? Uh, my wife got an SMS this week from a real estate agent saying, listen, put your property on the market now because uh, soon the international borders are going to open up and people are going to be spending their money on travel instead of uh, uh, new property. Uh, and, you know, referencing these new measures uh, that, that, that the Treasurer was talking about this week and um, so saying that it was a good, good time to sell. Uh, so I thought we've got two um, people coming in today uh, to speak with us. I've got Luke Egan, who is uh, uh, the director of Astra Alliance, and I have got Josh123 uh, from Accenture Property. And I'm going to start off by introducing Josh123. G'day, Josh. Thanks for having me on the show. You're right. Listen, uh, I thought a good place to start is you're, you're with Accenture Property and Accenture Property is your own business. You've just uh, started that. You were at CBRE uh, Asia Pacific for some time. Obviously, CBRE is an international uh, property group. Tell us yep. uh, just, just by way of introduction about your journey from um, big international corporate to, uh, to where you are now and, and why. Yes. So, Nick, I started off at, at CBRE. I was there for probably a good seven years, six to seven years. And while I was there, we carved out a bit of a niche sales team whereby we just focused on healthcare and social infrastructure property. So that being healthcare, aged care and childcare. We, yeah, we built quite a, a large business there, obviously building up some very good contacts in that space and yeah, left about six months ago and decided to start up my own company with a business partner, Clay Trembath, who came out of Charter Hall. He was in the childcare fund there. So basically we have now started up a company where we are in that transaction space, both healthcare and a lot of childcare as well. So we do a few off-market sales. We do a fair few leasing opportunities and transactions and also we're starting to do some developments as well probably more so focused at the moment in that childcare space because there's a lot of activity both from investors and operators as well at the moment 
Uh, so, so who 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 is your who, client base generally? Are they funds? Uh, are they are they private investors, banks? Who 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 normally engages you? Yeah. So, from from a transaction perspective, with the sales, they are a lot of large funds. Out of probably a majority are based in really Sydney, but the likes of Australian Unity, Dexas, Barwin, yeah, Ram. There's there's probably a good dozen at the moment that we deal with in particular in that healthcare space and they yeah they're basically focused on transactions that are in excess of 10 million dollars in that healthcare space so we do a lot of work with those groups trying to find them properties to buy and then in that childcare space that is growing heavily in that institutional space again so what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of institutional clients that used to buy healthcare and now focusing on buying childcare as well because they see basically how much it is an in-demand sector. They've got the ability to get some scale in terms of purchasing assets and also it's an essential service asset class and that's just gained more and more popularity during COVID especially. So is this something that's become in vogue recently or is it has this been something something's been building up? I mean, there's so much money circulating around the place. These funds are chock a block full of cash. Uh, is now is it is it just now that the, you know everyone's now flooding into childcare or it's always been a fairly hot hot area? No, it's it's really come to the forefront probably in the last year. There has been some large larger funds that were, you know, have been acquiring childcare for the last, you know, 10 or so years people like arena people like charter hall they're still very big in this sector they've always been in it but now we're seeing a lot of new market market entrance and with healthcare that's been again probably a lot you know there's there'll be half a dozen major funds that have been purchasing healthcare for you know for the last five to ten years but now that we're just seeing more and more come into that space and that's obviously driving prices for healthcare and childcare assets as well. And what um, what are you are you engaged when someone's looking at an investment and they say, look, guys, can you come in and kick the tires and, and do an assessment? Or is it when they're looking for something, they're saying, look, we've got, you know, we've we've got this fund here, it's been set up to do XYZ. Can you find us some opportunities? What, what, what's the nature of the engagement? Yeah, so we do both. So from that institutional healthcare perspective basically they come to us and say can you help us acquire assets and a lot of the time we have connections with the owners in that healthcare space and are able to source opportunities for them then on the on the flip side in terms of the operators so we do a lot of work with childcare operators looking for new opportunities and looking for new locations to be based in and what we will do is we'll go then and try to source them sites. So that's a, a, a large part of our business now is, right. is looking for properties that are suited to childcare. And then once we've got those properties, we can go to the operators and say, hey, have a look at this. This has the right demographics for childcare. So that that's a, a big bulk of our business now because there's just so much activity in that space. Okay. Um, all right. Well, look, Josh, we might just pop you back into the waiting room there and introduce uh, our other guest for today, Luke Egan from Astor Alliance. 
G'day, Luke. Thank you G'day, very much for, uh, for coming back again. Thanks for having me again. Very, very good. Now, um, so what's, uh, now Astra Alliance is a property advisory of uh, a slightly different nature. A lot of the stuff that you do is uh, involving uh, dealing with mortgagees and lenders and, uh, and helping with distressed property. What, what is it that's uh, taking up your days? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, everything going on in the property at the market at the moment, we're, we're obviously not as busy as we should be, but uh, we're definitely starting to see uh, some changes in the marketplace at the moment. Um, what you mentioned um, earlier around uh, interest rates and so forth and some of the regulators coming in and, uh, and changing some of, the, some of the things might be happening in, in the banking area. Um, for us, it's just incredible. In the res I'm going to concentrate on the residential property market at the moment, but... Um, we're, we're doing online auctions for, for mortgagee sales at the moment and, and we're getting 50, 60 registered bidders um, who, are, who are bidding online and uh, in some cases we're getting um, 600 square metre blocks up to 1,000 square metre blocks in uh, middle class sort of areas in Western Sydney and, um, and, and Western Melbourne and, and we're, getting, we're going over $100,000 to $200,000 over reserve. Uh, the appetite is just incredible out there at the moment to, to purchase property. Uh, a, a lot of people out there who, who have equity in their properties, they're, they're looking to become builders in their own right. Um, we're seeing a lot of renovations, uh, small renovations right through to, to small developments of, of units and townhouses. Um, so, yeah, the appetite's very big out there at the minute. And what um, – so, so are these properties that you're helping get to market that are, that are distressed and, and, and they're like residential developments, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's all we specialise in the distressed area, so it, it could be it's a it's a broad it's a blend of industrial, commercial, retail, residential, uh, but yep. the majority of the distress work we're seeing at the moment is in that residential area, specifically around apartments, uh, small developments, uh, and also a bit of retail um, areas like industrials that are still very strong. Uh, so we're not seeing much recovery work in that. But the apartments are still hot. You're saying apartments aren't. So uh, if you look at some of the figures around, around Melbourne specifically, um, apartments in Dockland, South Bank, uh, Carlton, they're down about 30%. Uh, we're talking about residential homes um, and, and uh, townhouses, which is where the market's hot at the moment. Units is, um, is an area for concern in, in the marketplace, specifically in Victoria. Right. So, so these things are—they're already in distress. Some of these developments, and and where are you picking them up? Are they are these completed developments, or are you picking them up when they're half built and you've got to help uh, finish them off? What's the where where are you getting engaged? Uh, majority of it is where um, a builder's probably at um, fixing or lockup stage, um, and where they've run out of capital, um, and that's where we would usually come in and um, assist with that, either as an external project manager to get the uh, the build complete or step into the shoes of the builder and complete um, under our own permits. But we're also seeing a lot of um, people who are doing land banking and applying for um, planning permits and, and building permits and, and defaulting at that stage as well, as they don't have any income coming in on the assets. Um, but to answer your question, it would be around builders not having the ability to complete their projects, whether that's due down to funding or um, down to their delivery model. And are they with banks or private lenders predominantly? It's a blend. It's a blend. Uh, it would be uh, non-banks. There are uh, some institutional banks that we're also doing work for, um, but also in the insolvency market as well. Um, so bankrupt estates or uh, corporations who um, entities that may have uh, entered into some contracts with some development sites and, and um, we're, we're acting on behalf of the practitioner. 
Yeah, I must say, having a look at the insolvency uh, notices every day, uh, most of it, it seems to be mainly property related. It's I don't know who the companies are, but you look at their names and you can guess they seem to be either SPVs for developments or, you know, builders um, in this, you know, mainly in the third tier and, and lower sort of space, it seems to be. Um, but, uh, okay. All right, well, look, uh, we will bring Josh back. And uh, we'll just talk a little bit about, we, we had a headline there, may have been from today, about childcare centres and the yields that they're getting. Childcare centres sell on record low yields. So I can buy a childcare centre and get a return of, this one was, I think it was 2.99%, uh, which to me, it, that does sound a little bit remarkable to me, Um Josh, is that is that a new record or what? What I guess the yeah. Can you talk us I'm, around that? What's going yeah, on? Nick, there? I probably wouldn't be buying it either at two point nine nine percent. But I, I think the reason why that would have transacted where it did is there's probably two main reasons. The first being the price point. Around that sort of price point, you've got a lot of mum and dad investors and high net worth privates. And that's obviously going to fuel competition. If this was an asset probably north of $10 million, they're going to drop away and it'll only be your institutional groups that would be looking at it to purchase. That would probably result in a bit of a softer yield. And obviously in that institutional space, they need to justify a lot of the time to their board as to why they're paying the price that they are. And that's just not going to get valuation support in today's market. And the second reason why that transacted where it did would probably be the location and the underlying land value. In, in a lot of these built-up and established areas, childcare is very popular, and especially if there's a high median house price because the, the barrier to entry comes into, comes into effect. Obviously, it's very expensive probably to, to buy three houses side by side, knock them down and put up a childcare centre. So investors have a lot of confidence that if they buy this childcare centre, that they're going to be there for the next 10, 20 years and there's not going to be too much competition coming into that area. So, so that's interesting. You're saying it's almost uh, two different marketplaces there. So there's one that's accessible by mum and dad, you know, maybe through their self-managed super fund or... or uh, whatever it might be, and because there's, they're, they're desperate for yield, like like everybody's desperate for yield, they might be uh, comfortable to, to overpay, uh, as yeah. it were, which drives that yield down. But once you get into the bigger tickets, you've got professional investors who, who are running a whole bunch of different analytics and metrics over it, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll find that in that, in that smaller mum and dad high net worth private area, there's just more and more buyers coming into that that pool, and that's purely driven by, I think the 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 good news that childcare has been getting lately in terms of the government and how much you know support they've been giving these childcare centres during COVID. It really does just highlight that it, it is a sector where it is essential, and basically it is the driver behind the Australian economy. And when the government's tipping that much money into the sector to keep it afloat, it certainly says something about how how crucial it is, which is why investors are, are really coming into the, the sector hard because 
they see how important these centres are and they're hopefully going to be there for the next 20 plus years. Okay. Uh, Luke, are there any other sectors that you're seeing these sorts of characteristics? Or, or let me ask you a different question. When, you know, when the phone rings and you've got, whether it's a bank or a mortgagee that's got a distressed property, uh, you know, are there any sectors that you go, you beauty, you know, like, for example, childcare, I can really do something with this because there's a lot of hot money for it. Um, what, what are some of the others? Or, or is, is most of it the, the residential stuff? Or No, so and, I mean, um, yeah, so uh, obviously uh, myself and Josh have a relationship in, um, in real estate and uh, we're always sharing leads. Um, some of that childcare stuff, what Josh was saying before, it is extremely hot at the moment, whether it's for a fun um, or any other buyers out there. I think similar to that, we're seeing aged care and retirement living is definitely hot. Um, we don't see a lot of distress stuff in that area, but it's a market where if there is assets available or property available, um, it, it is very much quick to move off the market. Uh, I'd say the same for industrial. Um, it's just a, a booming sector in general. Um, you look at the, the amount of work that uh, Charter Hall and Australand and the, and the land that they're buying, uh, anything in those areas is just hot and, um, and and it's purchased and snapped up pretty quickly. Mm. Okay. Well, just to change uh, the tone, a little bit earlier, um, Luke, you, you were talking about the supply chain um, and you were saying that there might there's some issues there uh, holding up developments. Uh, do you want to just talk a, bit, a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, there's an extreme shortage at the moment in, in Australia in general for um, for steel and timber. Um, I think September we hit the peak um, of, of a shortage. Uh, so this is um, a flow-on effect onto a lot of commercial and residential building projects around the country. Um, it is held down, uh, slowed down projects uh, in, in line too with COVID, with all the restrictions with having labour on site. So a lot of these claims that would have been, been put in by builders um, have had, had to have been slowed down uh, and work hasn't been able to be completed to time frame. So then you've got liquidated damages and, and LTIs coming in place as well. Uh, so it's, it's a big flow on effect. And, and that's going right from the top to, to the developer, right down to, to the tradesman on the ground. Everyone's feeling the impact of that. Uh, fortunately, I, I believe we're coming out of it now with our, with our supply. Um, uh, September was probably the hardest hit. October, we're, we're due to increase our production and we're going to have more access to materials. I guess, I guess from a building perspective uh, on a lot of these development sites uh, and project sites now is getting the labour back on site. I mean, we've seen uh, footage of what's been happening in Victoria and it's been absolutely devastating for the industry down here, um, not being able to get uh, uh, tradesmen to site um, and, and then the flow on from that. Um, the impact that it can have on a lot of these businesses is, is substantial. It's not just the um, the, the time um, out on site, it's, it's, it's the back office, it's it's the planning, it's the programming, it's the estimating that goes into, into all this sort of all this work, and um, these stop-start delays um, are, are definitely impacting uh, a lot of people in the market. Yeah, I guess like everything, there's always seems to be mixed signals. You know, uh, I've got one of the headlines there. You know, surge in jobs, powering budgets, eighty billion dollar rebound. Uh, you know, so you'd look at that and you'd say, well. You know, when, when all of these tradies in Melbourne, for example, that you're talking about, when they can get back on site and they start building, um, you know, there's if the economy is going to swing back, then, you know, property prices may, may stay hot. If, on the other hand, 
you know, so if there's, if I'm just wondering if if all the activity ramps up again and we've got supply issues now, you know, what happens when when everyone's back on site and, and ordering uh, ordering supplies again? Is um, you know, how does what, what happens then? It, it's a great point, and um, I mean, we'll find out soon enough, but. Um, I believe the, the supply for materials um, should improve, um, but but labour requirements is definitely going to be going to be a struggle. Um, there's just not enough labour to do the amount of work that's out there in the moment in the different sectors, um, and there's, we're going to have to find some we're going to have to fill some gaps in to to make uh, make these projects um, get completed on time and on budget. Okay, um, so Josh, you we've talked about childcare, um, and it's it's a, it's a hot sector. But your other uh, uh, one of your other specialties is healthcare. You were saying so. Um, what's what what are the dynamics there? What is that? What, what's what's going on in that sector? Yeah, healthcare is in terms of sales again. That that's the yield compression that we've seen in healthcare in probably the last couple of years is you know you would probably see it compress around 100 basis points you know one percent and the reason being is that there's a lot of new funds coming into that sector driving prices funds that are looking to list you may have seen in the in the news you know home co have listed health co they are you know a client that that we work with and try to source them opportunities but that's a prime example of someone with a lot of capital needing and and wanting to buy these healthcare assets and they're paying some very big prices centuria heathley are another group that are out there and and quite aggressive at the moment so there's just a a lot of activity from from the larger larger groups wanting to acquire and then again from your mum and dad investors probably similar to childcare, they see healthcare as an essential service asset class something where you know they're, they're happy to tip their money into knowing that you're always going to need a doctor you're always going to need a dentist you're always going to potentially need a, a child care center and that just gives investors a lot of confidence from an operator's perspective healthcare is not as active as childcare at the moment, there's probably not that many groups that are that are looking to to really expand and open new locations. And the reason being is that getting the doctors is very difficult. So it's it's extremely hard to attract these doctors. And at the moment, obviously, they can't bring them in from from overseas. So that's that's putting a hold to a lot of these these healthcare groups wanting to open up new locations. So that that's yeah that's putting a hold on that sector. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Uh, I'll just remind uh, people watching live that uh, I've got this mug for you. If you ask us a, a question live, and you can tap in on uh, your LinkedIn or your YouTube or your Twitter or whatever it is or your Facebook, and uh, fire a question into the boys. Uh, and we'd be very glad to take them. Um, it's interesting, Josh. You mentioned um, it's it's hard to get doctors i mean um, you know and and luke you were talking about you know labor shortages as well uh, i was talking to someone yesterday who's you know in, in, in an it firm and they they're, they're looking for 20 people um but, you know normally you know under normal circumstances we've got uh, you know educated uh, skilled and unskilled people you know flooding into the country uh, on any given you know on any given day of the week um so you know you know starting off with you josh i mean how is that 
impacting how is that impacting the sector? And I guess when the borders open, are we going to see a lot of change? Are you, are you, are you plugging that into your modelling at all? Yeah, I think when the international borders open, you'll see a bit of a, a change. And I think these groups will start becoming a little more active. But yeah, what we're seeing at the at, at, at the face of it here is that, you know, the only way for these healthcare groups to open up a new greenfield location is basically they'll have to buy some surrounding gp clinics just to to be able to bring the doctors into this new facility so yeah it's it's there's a there's a big shortage for for gps and and look a lot of the time they don't want to travel either they want to they want their clinic to be close to their their home so that's a big big thing on their wish list when when these healthcare groups come to us trying to help them find sites. They basically said, yeah, you know, we're looking for locations now that need to be near affluent areas because that's where a lot of the doctors live. So that's a big draw card actually for, for these healthcare groups and finding sites for them now. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so look, we all, you know, we already talked about the, the labor shortage on, you know, on the, I guess on the residential and other sectors in the market, certainly in the building Part. I mean, it's, it's one thing to try and find doctors to actually, you know, uh, as bums on seats in these uh, healthcare centres, uh, but it's another thing to find people to build them. I know that just around the corner here, there's a, a lot of road work going on and there's a lot of the, the paddle pot people, you know, the traffic control people, and there seem to be a lot of very thick Irish mm -hmm. accents down there. So either they got locked into the country or they're getting in somehow. Mm -hmm. Um but I mean, is it something that's talked about? I mean, what, how, and how do they solve that problem? Yeah, property uh, it, it, like uh, Josh's industries, uh, very, very much reliant on uh, international workforce, um, and obviously that's dried up a lot. A lot of these civil infrastructure projects have sucked a lot of the, a lot of the labour away as well, um, which is making it harder on other industries. Uh, it's big talking points in um, in with uh, the REIV, um, the master builders. Um, in certain areas of property on how we're going to um, plug the, the skill shortage. Um, there are programs which are encouraging people uh, to leave school and, and to become, whether it's a trade or, or look at some sort of business course to go into, into the real estate property markets. Um, but, but it's a big challenge and um, I think it's going to take a while to, to try and find a solution. Um, but yeah, we're just going to wait and see what happens when the borders open. Mm. Now, 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 um, Luke, you're uh, sort of in a very unique spot because you are both a builder as uh, uh, as well as you know a consultant to, to financiers and lenders and investors, uh, etc. Um, I mean, what you know? How do you see what 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 in your crystal ball? What are you seeing early next year? I mean, are you are you seeing uh, things remaining hot? You know, you're talking to the people. Uh, you're ahead of the curve because you're talking to people who are. You know, got stuff coming out of the ground, and uh, and and so you're able to get a little bit of insight ahead of a lot of us. Uh, I mean, are you concerned that is the market overheated? Do you think the government is overreacting by trying to curb lending, or is this something that they need to do? Uh, are you are you? We've had this twenty percent increase. They're saying next year it'll only be seven percent, which would be sort of pretty big in normal circumstances. I mean. It, are you seeing a collapse? What, what do you think is going to happen? Look, we're not going to see a collapse. Uh, I, I guess, as you said, it's a niche industry. And, and I got into this industry back in Australia through doing a bit of this over in the US, specifically in, 
New Jersey and um, and Dallas, um, working in that sub subprime market, buying and flipping property. Uh, and there are some um, big parallels between what did happen over there and, and what's happening in Australia. Not from a lending perspective, but where we're a lot more tight and and um, and, and and examining our loans and, and what we're doing for funding. But the property prices over in the US and what's happening here now are very similar. The year-on-year growth, it was all 15 to 20%. Um, there was a, a lot of construction um, happening around the country uh, at any one time. Oversupply did become a problem over there. I don't think we're going to have that issue here. But you've got to remember also the last 18, 18 months to 24 months, the, the large financial institutions haven't enforced any of their loans. Um, the backlog of recoveries is going to be huge. Now, non-bank lenders, they're still enforced. They're not under the same uh, regulations as some of these some of these bigger lenders. But early next year, my view is that we're going to start to see a bit more enforcement um, across a lot of the of the larger banks, and I believe that will flow on um, if there is a a uh, an, in, an interest rate um, hike um, if. APRA do get involved and, and start regulating um, the industry a bit more. I believe the market will cool a lot. Joe, you know, I've, um, I've just got a, I've just got a, I've just got a query over that, Luke, because, um, you know, I, I, yes, on one hand, you know, the, the banks aren't enforcing; they're not taking any action at all. And some people say that, you know, until the Australian Tax Office starts to crack down on people, uh, the banks are just sitting on their hands. Interest rates are so low. I mean, cash is virtually cost nothing um, mm. so it's not costing anything for the banks to sit on bad debts it's not like they're eating their heads off in ca you know with a huge capital cost but I, I i think there's so much private money and institutional you know non-bank money around i just wonder how much of the bank's problem loans have migrated off bank balance sheets and into funds and into private lenders i, I wonder you know when when interest rates do go up and when you know when when the when you know when the party does come to an end, I just wonder whether or not the banks will be sitting there having uh, offloaded effectively mm. onto private investors and, and to funds. I mean, what 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 do you think? Yeah, look, I, I think it's a very valid point. I mean, uh, the banks have got a lot smarter since the GFC. They've they've set up these workout departments um, around what you were just talking about then. So maybe they have been on the front foot and and um, we are going to see um, you know a lot of this a lot of these loans being pushed down the road and, and refinanced um, which which could hold which could hold home prices up um, but I'm still I, I still my view still would be though with the amount of with the, the amount of enforcement that's been done over the last 18 to 24 months I still think there'll be a steady flow of recovery work and I think that will flow down down the chain. And I get, and if, if there's an impact with interest rates, uh, and like I said before, with APRA um, getting involved and the regulator, um, I, I think the market will cool. And I think it has to. Um, how how we're selling property at the moment? We've got fifty to sixty people who aren't even physically viewing a property and 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 paying hundred to two hundred thousand dollars over reserve. Well, well can, can we just that's that's interesting again my, my wife told me this week uh you know about two properties in the area that sold for crazy prices and they didn't even hit the market or if they did yeah you know, like they, they just sold straight away uh i don't know if people are viewing them so when you're when you're talking about a hundred thousand two hundred thousand over reserve you're talking about apartments presumably that are would would be expected to get what a million bucks? I mean, what's the what, what what's the expectation? What what's this hundred over? What, what what just to give it some context? 
So def- it's not apartments, it's um, residential dwellings. Uh, yep. So, um, yeah, something 600 to 1,000 square metre block, three by one, yep. or, or yep. a townhouse. And um, people are buying them sight unseen effectively, except for we, a nice walk. Or want to- we, we, are running, we are running Zoom auctions, or we're yep. doing expression of interest, and yep. no one can physically step foot in these properties, and um, they, are, they, they, are, they are receiving bids left, right, and centre. Um, the demand is huge. Um, and they are all selling. I mean, our clearance rate at the moment is is sitting at about ninety six percent. It's and the only ones that we're not selling is probably residential apartments. Um, everything right. is just going. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and Josh, are you um, with, with the funds that you're speaking to? Is it just are they just throwing all caution to the wind, or what are the what are the um, what, what advice are you giving them to make sure that they're not overpaying or not overinvesting in in these uh, in these sectors in these properties? Yeah, we try we try not to to say too much. We obviously want the deal to go go across get it across the line, but yeah. it probably very similar to to what Luke was saying that a, a lot of these funds they obviously they know what they can pay. They speak with valuers every day. You know, they've got fantastic skill sets and. Yeah, basically 100% of our properties that, that we sell are done off market and very similar to, to Luke that a lot of these funds are based in Sydney. They won't come and inspect the property at all. They'll just put forward an offer. They'll have probably someone locally here in Victoria go and, and do a building report and a value will go through the building and then and then that, that's basically it. The, the property's transacted. And a lot of the time, the owners of these investments don't want all that public exposure anyway through a sale campaign because sometimes that can affect the operating business that is there. Obviously, if there's a big for sale sign up at the front of the property, a lot of the time people think the business is for sale as well and it can get the tenants offside. Right. And I guess what all the the mum and dad's doing, kiss and drop, uh, what start looking elsewhere, do they or...? Absolutely, yeah. They get worried that the yeah the childcare might be changing hands, and you know they start to get worried. It's it happens a lot in that healthcare space also. So, and aged care, you won't see many signboards, if any, at the front of those properties because when the the residents see them, it yeah it, it <laughs> doesn't do the business any favors. <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay, guys. Well, look, uh, we are just sort of coming up against the clock. So uh, I might ask you just a, a bit of a question out of left field. And I'm sorry I didn't prep you with this one, but but just off the cuff, I'll start with you, Luke, and give you a little bit more thinking time, Josh. If you were the treasurer and you were trying to take the heat out of the property market uh, without crashing it, I mean, what what would what would you do? How would you go about it? Oh, it's a... That's a very, uh, very tough question, Nick, to end. But um, I would, I would probably, uh, I would, I wouldn't put interest rates up, number one, uh, and I'd, pr- I would toughen up the criteria for lending in, in in regards to multiple investments and so forth. Yeah, that's what we so, so, so something that's going to impact the investment market, not the not the not the, not the home buyer. Not yeah. the home buyer. Okay. All right. Look, I mean, none of us are economists here, but you know what? The economists mm-hmm. haven't got a clue either. So uh, mm-hmm. may as well may as well be people that are actually you know uh, sleeves up working in property every day. Uh, what about you, Josh? 
Yeah, I'd probably say that I'm not an economist, so I'm not too sure, Nick. But um, no, look, I, I think from a from a commercial perspective, I, I just yeah, I, I I don't see it heading down the path anyway in terms of what these capitalisation rates, what what's being paid at the moment. I you know I, I think we're right at the top of the market personally, and I don't see. It going these prices getting any higher or these cap rates getting any sharper so i think we're right at a peak and and i yeah if anything it, it might just slightly come up the boil in that healthcare and childcare space it's just the only major issue is that there's there's not many opportunities out there at the moment for these these funds to buy so and and, and when they are in the market they're they're highly sought after but i i don't i personally don't see these cap rates getting getting much sharper well, the interesting thing, um, Josh, is that 2.99 as a cap rate versus zero is only 2.99. But, you know, the way that they're, you know, the, the US are about to drop a $3.5 trillion spending package. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, most of that, I'm sure, is going to come from printed money. You know, they're printing money like crazy around the world. You know, we are seriously still staring down the battle of negative interest rates. So, you know, if, if, if interest rates are a minus 1% or minus 2%, you know, 2.99, I suppose, starts to look, you know, pretty red hot. Um, but anyway, look, we'll we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, so, uh, Josh Twelfth Tree, thank you very, very much for uh, making the time uh, to come and chat with us, and uh, all the very best on your journey uh, as a um, as a as a principal. Um, can, you know, welcome to the club. Um, it's all beer and skittles, I can assure you. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and Luke, thank you very much uh, for coming along once again. And uh, thanks for having us again, Nick. Absolute pleasure. Been, been really good. Okay, well, thank you to everybody who's been listening, uh, either live or later on off the podcast. And we'll do it all again next week. Cheers.